All right, hello everybody. Welcome to Techler Talk 17. I'm Henry and this is Jonah. And today we're gonna talk about backdoors. I made a video, you can check out the video. I'll leave it in the card. I'll leave a link in the description. Pretty much talking about the Apple app, Apple backdoor. It's Ars Technica and a lot of people call this a backdoor. And essentially what happened is there was some debugging tool. It's, it's assumed to be a debugging tool from the researcher. So this is the person that we have the most amount of trust in regarding the story because they're the person that discovered this and they had to pretty much reverse engineer all of these Apple components to figure out what the hell's going on. And they even said that this seems to be a possible debugging tool or some kind of feature built into these chips um, that's used for like internal Apple usage, likely for debugging purposes. Now, a lot of people were kind of, and I didn't do the best job at this either of because I still want to work inside the scope of, yes, it likely is a backdoor, but some people were interpreting my video as he's saying it's not a backdoor. And so it actually brought up an interesting an interesting discussion because there's another incident where there was military chips that had backdoors, like Chinese chips in the US military that had backdoors. And the US government was calling these backdoors, but then a US researcher came forward and said, hey, these are actually debugging tools. They were never like intentionally put in to be backdoors. So now there's a whole debate of like, well, at what point does something become an intentional backdoor? And if it's not an intentional backdoor, is it still considered a backdoor? And what are the, I guess, restrict, like what are the pros and cons of labeling things in certain ways? So I just think it's an interesting discussion that we're going to get into. And I actually don't really know any of your thoughts on this because after I posted the video, I went into the group chat with you and our clips editor and I'm like, hey, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> I was like, am I insane? And you both were like, no, I think anyone who wanted to like listen to that video and get a good perspective on it would have like got the, the right message from it. But people who are just going to be like Apple haters are going to be like Apple haters. People who are Apple lovers are going to be Apple lovers. So did I miss something? No. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> like it's a complicated topic for sure. When you're talking about like stuff like backdoor stuff like honeypot stuff that you said has like a lot of gray areas surrounding the definition of it even like experts will disagree or come up with different definitions based on like the article that you're reading or that kind of thing um, it's all like slightly different and slightly um slightly different in everybody's mind what exactly you're referring to in the first place which makes talking about this kind of stuff difficult i think right and i guess just to before we get into like why this matters um, I'm going to have B-roll for this, but there's a China-made China U.S. military chip security backdoor or debugging functionality is the title of this article. This is from 2012. Um, but there's a, I'm quoting the article here. A different view has been provided by Robert Graham, U.S. security cons consultancy at Erratica Security that has declared that the discovered bug hasn't malicious purpose. It is an entry point installed by the manufacturer for debugging operations. And he said that, a backdoor could pose a security threat, essentially. He's not he's not saying that there's not an issue here. He's just saying that clearly this was not put in for intentionally malicious purposes. Mm -hmm. So I guess why does this matter, first off? Like, what is the difference between something being an actively malicious backdoor put in for the sole purpose of being a backdoor versus something that's just a tool that's ultimately utilized to become a backdoor Yeah, because it was I mean... exploited? From a technical perspective, the the only difference is like whether one party knows about it beforehand or not. But at the end of the day, um, there there is a backdoor in your device. Whether like somebody had to go through the effort of trying all these debugging tools or whatever, maybe, and trying to see if they can be exploited to grant that access, or whether it was designed to 
grant unauthorized access to sensitive information in the first place. Um, either way, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're going to be affected, right? Right. I guess, do you see a positive to it at being proven not to be an active backdoor? Like, what is the positive in that, if any? Um, well, it's, it's definitely worse, like, from the perspective of the company that's, like, producing these iPhones. Like, for, if, if it's discovered to be intentional. Like, if Apple wasn't behind this backdoor, but they discovered, like, their manufacturing partner was involved in adding this secret code that they didn't know about, for example, or something like that, that would be of concern to them. But, um... Either way, for the people who are affected, I don't know if it makes a huge difference, to be honest. Right. That makes sense. I think also it, it matters from a long-term trust perspective. Right. Because if a company or a service or a chip or whatever it is, it this applies to anything, if it was put in intentionally for the sole purpose of allowing other people to access customer data, that's an instant loss of trust right there. Mm -hmm. But if somebody screws up I guess there's a little bit more sympathy you can have because it wasn't intentionally done. So in the case of Apple, again, if, if it comes out, if the researcher comes out with an update that straight up has evidence and says, Apple clearly put this in on purpose because they collaborated. And I, to be fair, if it was an actual research paper, he wouldn't probably have the context as to why it was put in. He would just be able to say, based on my evidence and based on what I'm seeing, it seems like it was actively put in for the sole purpose of exploitation, mm -hmm. which, by the way, nothing aligns with that. Because if anyone who actually read the article and saw the exploit chain, no backdoor would have to rely on such an insane exploit chain to be utilized if the sole purpose of the backdoor was to be exploited. Um, and this also is kind of debunked by the fact that Apple literally closed up so many of the exploits in the exploit chain without necessarily dealing with that root problem, as far as I know. So it just seems a little silly to like, hop on that conspiracy. I think it's a conspiracy theory, to be honest, to say that it was an intentional backdoor um, because there's no evidence for it. That's not where the data aligns. And to go against that is almost, it's very accusatory at minimum, I'd say. Um, and I would think about this for any other exploit for a different company if this was Microsoft. If Microsoft had a similar chip exploitation in their own silicon, and I would also go, okay, but like, I don't know if that's necessarily intentionally put in, but the negligence is still a red flag. And I think that they should be doing better. Right. And yeah. I mean, it's really hard to say like, what, because so much goes into these chip designs, right? They're incredibly complex um, mm -hmm. chips that are being designed and there could be so many functions that are undocumented or people have no idea why it exists because somebody just built it one day. Um, it feels most likely to me that it's just like probably a debugging um thing or something like that as the article mentioned that forgot that they forgot to disable or that kind of thing it because it's so easy to just forget to turn that kind of thing off or just leave it there and not even know what it does and it's it's safer to ignore it right from a chip design perspective if that's going to mess up your whole chip but obviously from a security perspective um it's it's even a problem with software. People like developers are building more complex and more complex software and all this code, a lot of people don't even know what it does anymore. It just builds up over time and it could be like something that's been in ARM chips for like 10 years that just nobody remembered or knew about until now, that kind of thing, right? Right. Right. I think, yeah. Speaking of software, I think the hypothetical scenario I threw in our group chat's way 
was let's say Signal had a account recovery process built into the Signal client. So it was actively built in by Signal, but there was some debugging part of it that essentially allowed, you know, people to still to be able to reclaim accounts that weren't theirs. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a widespread issue, but it was something that could be exploited by people who knew what the hell they were doing. Um, would that then be like, I, I wouldn't personally consider that at all, like a backdoor or a, I would just consider that a massive exploit personally. Um, so I don't right. know. It's, yeah. And I don't see that as being too different from the Apple situation outside of the fact the hardware, situ- the Apple situation involves hardware. Mm-hmm. where I think people feel a little bit different about hardware because it feels more permanent. But ultimately, even this hardware thing was still, a, it was firmware that was the issue. So it still was software in a way. Yeah, with with hardware, people throw around backdoors a lot more freely because um, cause it's easy to think like all of the software is under your control, but the hardware isn't. So then you're more concerned about stuff that's baked into hardware. Um, it's it kind of comes down to like in your hypothetical signal situation, um, just your definition of backdoor, like I was saying earlier, a lot of people will define it as something that's intentionally put in by some covert agency um, secretly or by like the company themselves to give them some sort of special access. And then other people will define it as just like any code that gives an attacker some way to elevate their permissions in, in a space that's not through the usual means. So if you're thinking about a backdoor just in terms of like that very technical perspective um in a hypothetical like something in signal that lets you gain access to somebody's account that would certainly be considered a a backdoor but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily like intended by anybody to be used that way right right makes sense um interesting yeah i was curious because a lot of people left comments being like you're denying it's a backdoor and it's like well I guess I could have, because there was a certain part of the video where I'm like, this isn't an Apple-developed backdoor, where I could see someone who, if they wanted to go in with the mindset of this person is trying to deny the backdoor, that's totally, I guess, I can see their interpretation of that, of like, they think that they're just trying to deny it's a backdoor, but it's like, no, I'm just denying that it's like this Apple-developed, Apple, like Tim Cook in the studio with his Dr. Dre beats on developing backdoor for (laughs) right it's not something it's not something that like apple or arm intended to be a backdoor basically right Um, most likely likely. and again we're not saying that's guaranteed because for all again for all we know like it's going to come out tomorrow that this research is going to come forward and be like actually i think this is super intentional right right. so far the researchers specifically said that they do not think that this is intentionally put in um just based on the complexity of these chips and how I mean, if you go into the research article and read this person and what they say, they're clearly very knowledgeable about what they do. And I'm like, my trust is in them regarding this story. Sure. And it shouldn't only be in them if someone else came forward and did, you know, a peer review where they tried to replicate this in some way and they came with a different conclusion. I think we should listen to them, too, and figure out, like, what makes the most sense. But like, as of right now, this is the best source of information. And not even they think it's a backdoor. Right. So, like, I think you have to be very... You have to think that you know better than somebody who literally found this exploit in the first place, which I don't think I am. And I don't think you are. I don't think anyone who left a comment on our video is. Um, and and you're, so saying, I think, you're saying that it's not like an intentional backdoor that was like a backdoor by design, right? Right. Well, I think this story also relates to like that news article in back in like June or July, I want to say, um, of last year where 
Kaspersky was like, the NSA has backdoored all our phones and Russia told everyone to stop using iPhones. Um, mm -hmm. So in that case, the, the security experts at Kaspersky, whether you believe them or not, um, were, were claiming that like, if it wasn't Apple, at least the government put it in or they worked with Apple to put it in. So there were claims to that effect that were being made. I think that were related to the story. Um, and whether that is the case, I guess, is one of those things that we wouldn't know, but it doesn't seem very likely to me that it, Apple wasn't right. At least it's it's really hard to know the capabilities of these government agencies. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the tough thing is like figuring out what's going on. Um, right. That is the whole. I mean, that is the context here. Is that you're you're right? Kaspersky has been doing this research on these on these iPhones. They've been publishing it. They've been very transparent about it. So I actually have a lot of faith in Kaspersky, um, regardless of them being Russian. I don't see that really changing at all, the stuff I've seen from them. But because Kaspersky is very firmly kind of seen to stick with just the whole, like, here's what's happened. We were able to do um, traffic analysis and see where this was going. And then they're, they're the ones who are kind of putting all this research together. I think it's to figure out who's actually behind this. Yeah is kind of the big question and kind of the context of the story there. And I think a lot of people are thinking U.S. is behind this. And then if the U.S. is behind it, does that mean U.S. is collaborating with Apple? Or they're just exploiting something within the Apple chip? And again, it doesn't yeah. really change something at the end of the day outside of the involvement that Apple has in this. Yeah. Um, which, again, I don't think they do just from the pure simple fact that these issues were patched when they were discovered by Apple. And Apple has been rolling out lockdown mode to literally prevent this exact issue. So even if you didn't get the firmware patch and you still have the backdoor on your phone, it still wouldn't be exploitable if you have something like lockdown mode enabled. Mm -hmm. That just prevents the entire exploit chain from being able to run. So, um, yeah, I just I don't see how that would be. A, it doesn't make sense to me, I should say. Yeah. But anything's possible, I guess. So. That's always the problem. Yeah. Just attributing who did what in this in this sort of situation right and to tie this too um i'm going to kind of try to paraphrase what nate said in our q a um nate was saying that he was frustrated at people throwing around the term spyware i'm sure you've seen it there's like every freaking neosities article like on every piece of software in existence like linux is spyware mm. uh Firefox is spyware. Brave is spyware. Do you know what like Tor browser is? I'm sure it's, it's spyware. spyware. <laughs> Obviously. So like there's like and it's insane. Like you read some of these posts and they're like, well, this employee 30 years ago, like wa like watered his plant in his backyard and he was wearing a red shirt, which implies that like and, and like <laughs> the, the bullet points that are used to justify why something is spyware is like off the wall <laughs> insane to me. Right. Um, and, and some of them like seem, some of them, there's like a shred of truth to it. But when you try to, when you compile the shreds of truth together to form a different opinion, it's a little bit disingenuous. So sometimes it's like brave had these several scandals, for example, which tells us they're money driven. Therefore, why would they not <laughs> insert, right. you know, thing. And so like when you start heading down that mentality, I like, I could see how people might fall for that a little bit easier than man watering plant. Um, but like, it's still kind of crazy to me. And what Nate said to get back on this, and not deviate too much. Nate was saying when we call too many things spyware, that 
really probably aren't spyware, or at least we have such a broad scope of what spyware entails, then it loses its meaning. Yeah. Then what the hell do we call Pegasus, which is like <laughs> genuine spyware? Like that's genuine, like instant zero click exploit that takes over your phone and listens to all your, your audio recordings and is able to track where you go throughout the day and submits that to a government agency. What's that then? Yeah, because it absolutely makes it harder to discuss actual spyware for sure. Right, which is what I give a shit about. Like, <laughs> I don't like it's not that I don't care about like these small issues with services, but I care more about protecting people from a Pegasus attack and journalists staying safe and making sure that like the average person is using end to end encrypted messengers and has the basics taken care of and is using a password manager than whether or not, I don't know, like, I can't even think of it. There's like so many of them. Whether or not like this, like t this small type of telemetry data is turned on or off in their browser that's already pretty privacy respecting, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, I don't know. Just like keeping perspective on issues. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. No, yeah, it's it's an annoying issue for sure when you're discussing any of this stuff. <laughs> a lot of people, there's just not clear terminology for any of these things, which makes like explaining it to people who aren't necessarily as involved in this space as we are like kind of frustrating because there's no way to clearly communicate what we're talking about. If you, if you right. say something is spyware and they have like a million different definitions of what that could mean in their mind. Right. Right. It's a good point. I mean, I, yeah, kind of takes me back to the honeypot video a little bit too. Cause I was like, well, there's no like formal definition for a honeypot, but <laughs> right. here's like a few of them in different communities and what people generally think are honeypots. But some people still think Proton and Tuda are honeypots because they helped like track one person down right. with each organization, which like, I don't think tracking one person is a honeypot. Right. Because like, like, again, like, if... like the... Because <laughs> they're not designed to, like, track people, basically. Right. Right. If they protected 50 million people and exposed one person, that's kind of like the opposite of what a honeypot is in my <laughs> eyes. But I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just tricky. I mean, I think a lot of the problems when it comes to discussing this stuff comes down to definitions. One of... Uh... One of my favorite threads on our forum is about like people discussing the definition of threat modeling and like is threat modeling just a list of threats that you have to avoid or is it like a holistic approach to like how you like deal with threats and what an appropriate response is or is it something else and a lot of people have a lot of different takes on what like just threat modeling means to them it's there's just a lot of terms that are thrown around here that not a lot of people agree on i feel like right i don't know if you've seen that I've seen that I said, yeah, you've seen my watch time or the read time on the forum. <laughs> yeah, you've seen most of the threats, I'm pretty I, sure. <laughs> right. Um, I did see either you, someone, I don't know if he was even on the forum, but you, someone implied that you were making a video on this on your channel. Uh, on threat modeling? Or maybe I'm making this up. I don't yeah. know. I could. Well, I don't know if I will. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to post <laughs> on my channel. <laughs> we don't know. We don't have the answers. I I'm going to sound like the people. <laughs> We're just asking questions. But no, um, like we are genuinely kind of like kind of bringing up the issue a little bit of definitions. Um, and so I think when discussing issues in the digital rights community, think about 
how someone might have a different definition from for than you do mm-hmm. and that's something i should work on as well in content because clearly the way that i addressed that apple backdoor video really pissed a few people off i say a few because the video is like a 95 96 percent like dislike ratio and so most people did not get pissed because i don't see why someone would get pissed from that video but for the few people who did get pissed i think it's really clearly like a definition issue mm-hmm. it's an issue of like the way they define backdoor is very different from me therefore they're like super pissed about the fact and it makes it sound like i'm denying that there's even a backdoor from the way i'm addressing it so I guess when we're trying to discuss digital rights issues, we should try to keep in mind that people have different definitions and maybe we should do a better job when we like make content and stuff of actually acknowledging like what our definition for something is. Wicker died. Oh yeah, I did hear about that. Amazon, right? Yep, didn't used to be, but yeah, Amazon bought it, killed it, now it's dead. And I don't think many people are upset. I don't, I've never, I've never, you know how like we never heard of a single person use mobile coin? I've <laughs> never heard of a person use Wicker. Like same, never? same kind of energy. I haven't no, heard have anyone use Wicker in a long time. There was maybe eight years ago, I actually used Wicker. So, whoa. <laughs> when did Wicker come out? I don't know. Every, I feel like it was a long time ago. Every, Everyone, but. take a photo while he's still around. Take a photo of Jonah Aragon, last known Wicker user, eight years ago. No, I just... yeah, eight years ago. But yeah, I'm playing around. I I know it had people on it, but um... especially like after the the acquisition by AWS, I don't think it was super popular. I'm just looking it up now. 2012 is when they launched. That's kind of crazy. I don't know if Wicker Me has paid options, but AWS Wicker is still around for business communication. As far as Got I know. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That makes more sense. But as a separate um app. I understand why they do that then if they don't want to stay in that free messenger community. Yeah, I'd imagine I not many how they people make any use money. Wicker as opposed to like Signal or something these days. Right. Kind of makes sense. Interesting, because I think Wire went in a similar direction. Um, I think like so. Wire seems to, they went more enterprise. Well, I'm going to make a video about the um, the Wicker situation, probably. Most likely. Um, so you might see that in the next few days if you're watching this. Um, For all the Wicker users out there. <laughs> right. I don't know. I guess, like, I don't know how popular it is. I don't know. Either. In my head, it's like Messenger dies. We should make a video and be like, hey, here's what's going on. And here's what you should use instead to help people like move to better alternatives. Yeah. Um, but if no one's even using Wicker, then I guess I don't know how that video is going to do. Um, <laughs> guess we'll see. Google Chrome is still making moves on killing third-party cookies. Which is crazy. Right. All of the stuff that Chrome it's... is doing always has like defenders within like the privacy and security community that annoy me. Like with either this thing or Manifest V3, <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, this new... This new technology that they're replacing cookies with is even better and more privacy respecting. But you know what other browsers are doing? They're just removing cookies without replacing it with new <laughs> surveillance technology at all. You could just not have it. <laughs> That's the secret. You, come, come on. <laughs> so funny. I love it too because like we're called Apple and Google Shields. But like let's yeah, let's dive into this. Like um, I'm with you though. I guess. Are there any legitimate arguments? Like, I'm going to try to play at devil's advocate here. Are there any legitimate arguments you've seen for why Manifest V3 is a significant security improvement that couldn't be implemented into V2? That couldn't be implemented into V2? No. Uh, 
because the whole thing is just <laughs> Chrome's policies anyways. Manifest V3 has new improvements. Um, and dang, I'd have to look it up. Besides declarative net request, um, there's one other thing that it does, which is cool. Um, oh yeah, it's it doesn't let you like, it doesn't let extensions download JavaScript that can then be run. So it, like extensions can't change what they do on the fly anymore, um, which is a good feature. But um, that doesn't mean that uh, like something like a block list has to be stopped because um, you know, when you're downloading a block list as an extension, that's not changing the code of the extension itself. It just applies to JavaScript. And with the declarative net request thing, where basically how that works is it, it, ad blockers with V3 have to submit like the block list of everything they're blocking to the browser, and then the browser handles the blocking. Whereas like uBlock Origin now has a JavaScript based blocking engine that does all the content modifications itself. And that's why it requires so much access to different websites. But, well, first of all, the new, the new solution in Firefox is actually slower, but <laughs> that's a whole separate issue. But there's also, uh, there's no reason that that has to completely replace the existing solutions. Like all of these things could work side by side and they don't because Google just doesn't want to give robust ad blocking technology to consumers anymore because they'd rather you watch YouTube with ads and that kind of thing, right? Of course. <laughs> that's pretty much right. their only justification for it. Right, so you're you're in the boat of this seems like a major just ad blocking killer move yeah, from Google. Absolutely, and and Firefox has also kind of proven this because the way that they're implementing it is slightly different, and they're going to allow, like even though they're adding these new features like declarative net requests, they're going to allow the old content blocking functionality to exist as is as well, so ad blockers won't be affected and that kind of thing. But it's mm -hmm. it's it's a Chrome policy more than anything. Got it. And then third-party cookies is kind of a similar situation there where um, <laughs> it's just kind of insane because they're like, yeah, well, we're going to... I mean, And maybe, you know, I, I don't doubt them, actually. I think what they're saying is truthful. I think that their privacy sandbox, most misleading <laughs> name, of course, because privacy sandbox sounds like, wow, this is going to improve my privacy. Look, I should really utilize this feature right. when it's just like a new way to serve people ads. And it, I bet it is more privacy respecting. Um, but it still has to have a layer of control of Google. It still has the sole purpose of serving you advertisements, right. um, <laughs> which I think has other issues. Like that's literally the whole point of it. Um, and you're right. It's, they're just replacing the technology with a different tracking technology that is supposed to be better. And I guess I can acknowledge that maybe it's an improvement and maybe that's a better situation for the average person. But also you're right in the sense of like, it just doesn't need to exist at you all. You could just not do it, right? <laughs> right. They put in active effort to develop the privacy sandbox, a.k.a. Flock, which is what it used to be called. Mm -hmm. Maybe, is that what these organizations do? They have, like, in the preliminary phase, they know there's going to be a ton of backlash, so they have this, like, random name, like Flock. And then they're like, <laughs> okay, well, when it's ready for prime time, we'll change the name so people don't think it's the same thing. And <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a strategy. I think a lot of people do that. They try, it's just ways that these things can fly under the radar. They try a super complicated and technical name first and hope people don't notice it. I don't remember what Flock even stands for. It's like federated something. I don't, I don't know. But, and then when that doesn't work or if that doesn't work, then they try like the, the privacy 
approach where they just name it privacy and hope people assume it's private <laughs> without right. even though it has nothing to do with privacy right oh my god okay this is going to lead me to a different discussion that i forgot about that i wanted to talk to you about maybe you already know where i'm going with this but okay i'm gonna find the forum post one sec so someone left a post on our forum discuss.techlord.tech and the title is stop saying apple respects respects user privacy and it's pretty much a whole post detailing the apple privacy policy and how i mean you just read it for yourself i think i think that like they're not necessarily not making truthful statements because i think a lot of what they say is true and it's just referencing the apple privacy policy but i think it lacks a lot of context and i think that and what I, I responded to this and I said, I think the entire basis of this argument comes from a position of interpreting positive remarks towards Apple as people saying they're 100% private, which I think is a common thing that I see. Like, I'll just say one thing, like, hey, I think lockdown mode is a really cool feature. Mm-hmm. And it gets met with, oh, but Apple's terrible for privacy. And it's like, but I, I never said that. Like, I literally just said lockdown is a really cool feature that offers people who want really good security a tool to be able to utilize that on their devices. Like that, that's, yeah. like that can just be its own standalone isolated statement. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything else. Um, but where this is going, it's not actually, I think it's an interesting thread. Check it out if you want. I'll leave a link to it down below. But what I really wanted to talk about was someone responded saying, "App." so they responded to someone else saying, Apple's obviously using that for its marketing. And someone said, this is a patron of ours actually, who's active on our forum. They market themselves as a company that respects privacy and acknowledges it as a human right. They were caught, If they were caught harming the privacy of their users, they'll experience financial consequences that a for-profit company wants to avoid. Personally, I believe Apple cares about user privacy. The fact they have a financial incentive to uphold their privacy promises only makes it more convincing for me. Pretty much, I, I struggle with this, and I want to ask you about it and talk about it. I even say, I, I added you at this, and I said it'd be a fun Techler Talks topic to debate. Because on one hand, I agree that sticking your neck out and advertising privacy means you have to hit a bare minimum bar and prove to people that you are, in fact, private enough to, like, not be considered a loser and a hypocrite in the public side. People are like, haha, they advertise privacy and they can't even do the basics, so they're clearly lying. So they do have to have a base standard. The problem, and this is what I say also in my comment, is when the bar is being set by these companies who grossly over-advertise privacy. Mm-hmm. and people who are actually privacy respecting are seen as extreme in relation to that. Sure. So I guess that's that's the debate. Do you think it's a net positive or a net negative when we have big tech companies advertising privacy? Um, like <laughs> Apple specifically? or Because I do think the yeah. approach that all these big tech companies take are very different. Because you have Google, on the other hand, who advertises privacy in the sense that they create new technology like the privacy sandbox, which has nothing to do with privacy. (laughs) So from that perspective, I think the (laughs) privacy marketing in that case is harmful because it creates a bad idea of what privacy is in people's minds in the first place. Whereas Apple, um, the way that they market it, it's like things are private because they're local on your device or because it's encrypted or whatever. And all of those things, you can debate whether like Apple is true to those claims and like whether the stuff that you do on your phone is actually local or if iCloud has too much control or if their account requirement for the app store is too much or all that kind of stuff. But the marketing points that they're making, yeah, they can certainly do better and you can certainly argue that. But 
when they're like talking about privacy in people's minds, they're creating like an idea of privacy that I think is at least um, reasonable to have, right? Like, because when people think of privacy and they think of Apple, they think of things like encryption and things like local software running on your own hardware and all of that stuff is actual privacy stuff. Even if Apple doesn't have the best implementation of that necessarily, it's good. It's better branding for privacy than like the privacy sandbox <laughs> in Chrome. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I think that's the nuance of it is, is it genuinely an improvement from the average thing people are doing perhaps is a good way to look at it mm-hmm. or like the norm. If the norm is, ah, but that doesn't work because then it would be a privacy sandbox. Right. Right. Because then yeah. like the norm is third party cookies and tracking but if Google's doing better than that, then they can say, well, it's a privacy sandbox. So that definition doesn't quite work, does it? For me, the one I was proposing. So I guess like today's about definitions, right? We were talking about <laughs> definitions much. earlier. Now we're we're back into definitions here about privacy and like marketing privacy. I guess at what point is it acceptable to use the word privacy in it and it won't harm the community? Yeah, that's always like the tricky line to draw, I think. Um, I... I just think of like basic technologies that the privacy community already considers to be privacy improving. So stuff like end-to-end encryption, um, that kind of thing. And if their marketing aligns with that stuff that already exists and is acknowledged by privacy experts, then it's a step in the right direction. Even if like, like for a long time, the end-to-end encryption in iMessage wasn't like perfect, but I would still, it's still like fine in my mind for Apple to call iMessage a more private messenger because like they're doing 90% of the of the stuff that everyone else is doing which is far better than the 0% that most other messengers do right right if that makes sense right it's a good point yeah no I'm with you yeah interesting so would you consider and here's here's like the atrocious one though the atrocious <laughs> one which I'm always against is Zuckerberg on a stage saying Facebook cares about your privacy <laughs> because that's not even a, that's not even a marketing claim that's not like a like this feature this service of ours is private mm-hmm. it's just a broad like statement of just yeah we care about your privacy right <laughs> period <laughs> all right let's move on um so that's that's just a lie in my eyes it's not even like yeah, I, I mean, it kind of like, comes back to like whether your marketing is being backed up by anything that anyone would consider to be privacy respecting, right? If, if Facebook's not bringing anything to the table um, as far as privacy They did roll out end to encryption. So good for them for doing that. It took them only five years, but they freaking did it. I think it's go, still go rolling out, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's announced. <laughs> Hopefully it rolls out soon, but like, a slow I'm, gonna, I'm going to applaud that. Yeah. Yeah. It's and fine. again, I think we talked about this, but it's literally like, in my eyes, better than Telegram at this point, because <laughs> A, it's built on Signal's encryption. So at least the encryption is sound, unlike Telegram's encryption, which is kind of sound. Um, <laughs> then there's the fact that like, they both require to be, no, Facebook's is on by default. Assuming it rolls out and it's everyone has it, Facebook one to one is all by default. You don't even have to enable it end to end encryption. Telegram doesn't do that. Facebook's is probably going to work across multiple devices. I assume we haven't I haven't seen it yet, but I assume it will. I would I would assume Facebook wouldn't roll out this feature without it working on all clients. 
whereas Telegram has this weird desktop, no desktop restriction, which is really bizarre. Um, and then there's the group chat. You can't even enable end-to-end encryption in group chats on Telegram. But with Facebook, it won't be a default, but at least you can. Mm. So, like, you have the option to enable it for group chats on Facebook. So, quite yeah. literally, in my mind, Facebook Messenger is now... Now, that's just from the Messenger perspective. I think it's completely valid to be like, well, okay, well, to use Facebook Messenger, you probably have to be KYC'd. It's going to be tied to your pr- Facebook profile. That's definitely a different discussion. But I think just purely looking at messaging capabilities between Telegram and Facebook, Telegram is losing to Facebook now from a privacy and security perspective in my eyes. But Telegram still has the advantage of like, well, you can just have one isolated pseudonymous Telegram account that's not tied to anything else. And you can still enable N10 encryption and you still can use it. But I think it's kind of insane. So like shame on Telegram, <laughs> I say. Yeah. But Ultimately, know, neither, on neither one are great. Um, I, right. I really, haven't, <laughs> I really haven't looked into <laughs> Facebook's implementation too much. I'm really interested to see how it works um obviously there's a lot of metadata concerns like you brought up and none of that's really addressed with their encryption but i'm also like really curious to see how they've implemented this in a secure way because as far as i know it's still you just log in with your facebook account and all your messages are there um you can message from the web so i don't exactly know how that encryption key is being derived or stored or anything like that i have actually have no idea how (laughs) it even works or if it makes sense yeah but that's something we should look into. Something, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised it took them this long to do because WhatsApp is owned by Facebook. And Facebook, like WhatsApp already is a signal-based and, and encrypted messenger. You're right. So I don't know why this wasn't already... Facebook makes no sense. I hate Facebook, dude. It makes <laughs> no sense to me that there's like a messaging suite within Instagram, within Facebook, and within WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, but the Instagram and it's one, all the same company. The Instagram one is branded as Facebook Messenger, even though it's unrelated to Facebook Messenger. Wait, so <laughs> it doesn't that, like synchronize? Just to add to the confusion. Uh, no, as far as I know, it doesn't. But it's it's oh Messenger my God. branded. <laughs> this is a Google moment. Like, let's just have like nine it, different it actually messengers. Is. Signal just just annoys me though. When are usernames coming out? We're in twenty twenty four. Early twenty twenty four. Any second God. now. I Any just... second, J- January 8th, it, it's coming, man. <laughs> it's early 2024. <laughs> I really think that it'll be pushed to late 2024 at this point. Do you think so? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a hot take, especially because they already have... Well, how was it you used? We talked about this on another Techler Talks, but you used like the, 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 the stage channel or whatever yeah. to set up usernames. How was um... it? I didn't get far with testing it. I mean, nobody else was testing it, so I didn't have anyone to message. Setting it up, it was obvious. It was very buggy in the staging channel, which is to be expected. Um, I think for anything that's in beta or staging, for sure, it was obviously not going to be complete. But it was actually like even more than I thought it might be at this at this point because they've been putting in so much work, and I think it was even like basic functionality like deleting a username was crashing the app at this point, and I was like. <laughs> I don't it, it it felt like a feature that they had just released which they kind of did but it, it I thought there was more work going on behind the scenes like to get to this point and it still feels like there's a lot of work to go right yeah I wonder I wonder what the challenge I, I'd love to get a signal team member on for an interview I think it'd be really interesting I think it would add a lot of important perspective yeah because 
I, I think on one hand, I'm with you and I agree. It's kind of insane how long things take, especially things like usernames, which I think are at this point, everyone believes to be a staple, especially after the Authy situation where people's signal accounts got broken into because of the Authy breach. Mm-hmm. Not Authy, the... Um, Twilio? The pe- Yeah, the, the, the owner company of Authy, Twilio, yeah. which is the owner company, right? Yeah. Yeah, because of that data breach, people got some of their like signal accounts compromised because it was all phone number based. Um, and those are highly targeted, highly isolated. I, I think it was less than a couple dozen people that were reported in that, if my memory serves. But still, the fact that that exists, I think, really violates a lot of the things that Signal stands for. Um, but on the other hand, I understand that Signal is not a massive team. I understand mm-hmm. that they have a lot of features that they're trying to roll out. I understand they're competing against literally Facebook and massive tech companies. And I still acknowledge that they do a lot of cool things. And it's still overall my favorite messenger that I use. Like, yeah, it is just subjectively, like it is my favorite messenger to open and use. So I think it'd be awesome to give the privacy community some perspective on Signal and like get their development perspective and like what that's like and the challenges that they have. Um, I feel like it's really good. Any interview I bring on, it really shines a light on how like most people don't have malicious purposes in what they do. Um, like a lot of people really, myself included, like really weren't big fans of Vivaldi because nothing they did made sense. But then I interviewed <laughs> the CEO and even afterwards I'm like, yeah, I still kind of disagree with some of what they said, but I no longer felt like they were just not a good thing at all. I just felt like, okay, they clearly just have a different vision that I don't agree with in some ways. And right. I think that's fine. And they, they shared, they shared what their vision is. And I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think it's cool to get that perspective just like how I find, like same thing with start mail. Um, no, not start page, not start mail. Um, cause I interviewed the start page CEO. Like these, the interviews are fun. Long story short to kind of yeah. get like the other perspective. That's really interesting. That all, that almost makes me wonder like what would happen if you interviewed people outside the privacy space? Like we were just talking about Facebook and if you interviewed somebody from Facebook and asked what their vision was and if it would make any more sense. You have a thousand subs now. Congrats, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank um, you. Just in time so, for the new year. Made it in right. just just across the finish line of 2023. <laughs> right. That's good. Good little new year. Yeah. Oh, so to, to keep people in the loop on what's going on. So Jonah and I both have personal channels now <laughs> and we made a bet of like who can hit 10k subs first i'm at like at i don't even think i'm at 300 last i uh, checked i think i'm less than 300 and you're at like a thousand yep so you you definitely have a head start but you're putting out content my approach is just to be like hey everyone you should subscribe to my personal channel from tech lore <laughs> yeah so if <laughs> and you your see, approach is to actually do things <laughs> if you see all the shill comments in the next tech lore video pinned to the top tech lore saying subscribe to henry you you guys know that's the reason. <laughs> Keep it in mind. <laughs> so funny. No, I sh- I actually want to make like, you know, the Techler community is nice and all. I like this, but I don't want just a Techler community on my personal channel. If that makes sense, I kind of uh-huh. want just personal channel community to be different. If that makes sense, I kind of just want to focus on stuff that's not. But that's the problem. We were talking about this, right? Because. My thing is, I do. I think I do a lot of interesting things in my life, and it would be awesome to cover those things. But I don't want to like broadcast those things to the public. They're like right. very me and personal things, and I can't imagine ever being a vlogger 
because then you're commodifying your 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 personal life essentially. Um, and for me, I just can't like I, I guess I can talk about running a little bit because I love running, and I have done one running video. Uh huh. But outside that, I don't know what I would talk about. That's not tech. That wouldn't just go on tech lore. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know what you would talk about either. It's a that's a challenge for you. It's it's really hard. I don't. I feel like you're not the type of person who would have a like personal content or would even want that kind of thing. Um, it's no. like I was telling you. I was watching uh, like Marquez from MKBHD talk about like why he does tech content, for example, and it's because you know he can point the camera at this cool tech or whatever he wants to teach people about or whatever and talk about that instead of talking about himself, right? And I think we probably have the same kind of personalities where like we can talk about interesting things to people but like sharing everything about ourselves like some vloggers are doing is not like the same thing at all (laughs) completely different job right and right and we don't necessarily want to be like the center of attention we just want what we talk about to be the center of attention right which is very very different it's like i want people to see like wicker shut down here's the good alternatives i don't want people to be like Here's Henry talking about Wicker shutting down and seeing the... Like, it doesn't matter. I can't, like, well, I meant, film like, things to tech lore quality over here, Henry. There's a certain standard you've set. <laughs> so true. The the crazy standard, the crazy high quality... Yeah, go watch one of my videos. Video has. And then you'll appreciate tech lore videos much more, <laughs> is what I'll tell you all you guys. <laughs> if you think I these think... tech lore videos are like, ooh, they're not very good, just go watch one of mine and then you'll be like, oh, there's some effort that gets put into videos. It's harder than you think. That's what I've learned throughout this whole right. thing. It's like, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> right. I was actually really curious because I think people really don't, they underestimate the amount of time that goes into each video. Yeah. And it sounds like you went through that. It looks very easy, <laughs> but it's not an effort right. drop. I love watching appears. your videos. <laughs> yeah. Because like the first two minutes, because, okay, if, if you're <laughs> someone who edits videos, so I've had this experience. So for context in the past, um, our, our prior editor, um, she was editing videos and I could tell, even though I didn't see the NLE, I didn't see the timeline. I could just tell like, oh, hey, you didn't like go all in on this joke. Like. I could tell that you were kind of holding back. You didn't want to go all in and you're like mixed about it. It's like, no, I want you to go all in on that. Like you can tell like the artistic choices that someone makes if you're familiar with editing and yours are funny. Cause for me, it's just like, oh wow. looks like he really put in effort the first two minutes. And he's like, I'm done with this. I'm going to give up and just export the rest. <laughs> the, the whole rest yeah. of the video is like no other cuts, no other like B roll. You're just like two minutes. The first two minutes is good. I'm I'm good. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> Once people are hooked in, you know, maybe they'll stick with it. <laughs> I don't think that plays out in reality, but that's kind of like, yeah, that's the amount of effort I could put into it. Editing a video takes time, you know, and I can spend about an hour at it before I'm like, I can't look at this. <laughs> I can't look at this program anymore. <laughs> It does take time. It's the most time-consuming part, though, and it's very repetitive. And I think it's been, it depends how you edit. If I'm editing something more creatively and I'm like trying to have a lot of fun with it, it can be really fun. But if it's editing a surveillance report, sometimes I just want I'm just miserable because it's the same edit every week that you do it. Mm. So yeah, I think it depends. But I'm with you. Well, if there's nothing else, um, again, thank you for coming on. I hope that today was interesting. Uh, definitely leave some of your thoughts below. I'd love to hear some of all of your interpretations on definitions for terms and maybe 
I think there's always the right approach of just communicating what you define something as before you talk about it, which I know I can do a better job of, as I learned from that last Apple backdoor video. Definitely can do a better job of just strictly defining, okay, well, what is a backdoor? Now let's talk about this backdoor and how it fits into the context of my definition. I think it's a better thing to do. So definitely learning experience on my end. But if anyone has any other comments, definitely leave them below. And as always, um, it's a new year. So um, we had a fairly decent financial year, but we're always still trying to grow back here. And this is all free. We're doing this for free for all of you. There's no like, like sometimes we do VIP versions of things, but there isn't any of that for Techler Talks. So um, I'm just asking you if you have any extra change to spare our way, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash techlore. There's actually some perks that go along with that too. And if you don't want to join Patreon, we also have LibrePay. We also support Monero tips. If you use Monero, you can just send along literally like $2 in Monero if you wanted to. Um, whatever you want. So we appreciate any support. That support means a lot to us. And join the forum too, discuss.techler.tech. Um, we love that. We love our forum. So definitely join that if you want to be a part of our community. And thank you, Jonah. Thank you to all our listeners. And I'll let you all go now. <laughs>